Welcome to the Tool Shed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From the MLB draft all the way to the show, we're here to help give you the edge in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. Welcome into episode 184 of the Tool Shed with Clegg and Cross. Powered by the Blue Wire Podcast Network, I'm your host, Eric Cross, and with me, as usual, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? And not much. Ready for some baseball here, and the spring training is getting ready to get underway, which is exciting. So, you know, we're going to have baseball pretty much starting this week until, yeah, like, we can't really think past anymore. So, quite some time, and that's going to be awesome. College baseball is back. Need yeah. to get out to some some games, but yeah, it's it's baseball season now, and hope you're ready because ready or not, it's it's draft season, and I've got six drafts going on right now. Yes, and same here. Never feels like caught up enough, but we go. I'm ready. Now, where I forget, what's the closest big big school to you for college? Is it is it South Carolina or is it Clemson? Clemson. Clemson's about 20 minutes. University of South Carolina is probably like an hour and a half. So, oh, so I'm a Gamecock fan. I'm a South Carolina fan, but Clemson's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, just, it's been nice getting college baseball really kicked off for the most part on Friday. A lot of the big time schools, and it's nice to see one of the top arms, like some of the arms we talked about with Joe Doyle a couple weeks ago on, on that episode. And they've already gone like Dolander and, and Rhett Louder and so on and so forth. Paul Skeens. Skeens and Louder looked really good. Dolander, eh, was okay. A little bit wonky with his command, but. Yeah, it's nice to get college baseball back. You know, we got spring training coming up, and then about a month and a half-ish, actually a little under a month and a half from opening day, about a month and a half or so from minor league opening day, maybe a little bit more of that, closer to two months on that. But, yeah, it's, it's going to get more and more baseball every day, every week moving forward, so it's a very exciting time. And as Chris mentioned, it is draft season. We will be talking about top prospects to target and redraft. Over the next two episodes, there's a lot of, a lot of fun names, so we're going to break it up into hitters today and pitchers later on this week. So we wanted to give each show its due and really dive into a lot of these names and go a little bit deeper you know, than we usually do. So a lot of fun names before we get into this week's episode, or today's episode, I should say. The usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClegg. I'm at Aircross04, and our show is at ToolshedPod. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out my Patreon for more work from me and Chris's Substack for more work from him. And before we get into the show, we want to say a quick word about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you sign up using the promo code Toolshed, you will receive a 100% deposit match up to $100. And that can be used for any of their fun fantasy games, including MLB best balls, individual player pickums across all sports, and so much more. Sign up today using the code Toolshed at play.underdogfantasy.com slash the letter p dash the dash toolship all right chris let's hop into it now all the adp we'll be referencing in this episode and the one later this week with pitchers is nfbc draft champion adp from january 1st i think it was about 85 or so drafts so pretty good sample size there but i wanted to get you know more recent ones and kind of get rid of all the all the adp from like october november because i don't think that really you know, that doesn't that is not really important at this point in time. Like it doesn't really help us. 
the more recent ADP obviously does because things have changed quite a bit from when all of us degenerates are drafting back in October because we couldn't wait for to get into 2020, 2023, excuse me, draft season. So there's two big names, as everyone knows, this year. Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson. These guys are about you know, 100 or so picks ahead of anybody else in terms of rookie ADP. Carroll going at pick 71. Henderson going at pick 92. Are you okay with those ADPs, Chris? I know you know we talked a lot about kind of shying away from prospects, but in general, or in redraft, I should say, in general, what are your thoughts on those ADPs? Yeah, I do think it's probably good to preface. Like, I think these two are kind of different than most prospects that we're going to talk about because they've debuted. I think the concerning thing with prospects in redraft league is just the unknown of what the team's going to do with them. Are they going to manipulate service time, et cetera? And I think those are question marks as we kind of move down the board looking at some of these names, but we're 100% confident that Carol and Henderson, that will not be the case with. So it's an interesting spot for both of them. Carol brings some pretty intriguing things to the table where I think you can justify this price tag. And I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if I'm willing to be all in or not. I'll probably grab a share, you know, or here or there just to kind of see in case he does take off. But in a general sense, I mean, the blend of power and speed with a field of hit for Carroll is pretty substantial. So I think people kind of question Carroll's power a little bit. I mean, people are looking at, you know, it's 5.5% bill rate in a small sample, uh, 86 mile an hour average EV and a 107.5 max. And they're like, you know, he's not going to hit for any power. His power was a bit overplayed by playing in the PCL and you name it. But Carroll hits the ball pretty hard for his size, actually. His average EV in the minors last year was 90 miles an hour. A 90th percentile of 106.2 is really, really strong. You couple that with good contact skills. I mean, they do hit the ball hard 47.5% of the time in the minors. So if you're concerned about Carroll's power, I just advise against that. And he's the fastest player in the game. So he may be small, but he's still going to hit for power. And you're looking at elite speed. He, he could still 30. I think the upside here is pretty tremendous, but I also think there's a high floor with Corbin Carroll because of the fact that he doesn't chase often. And chased less than 20% of the time last year in the minors. Him, him and Gunner are kind of in the same boat in this standpoint where they have really good plate discipline, which really benefits them a lot. So in a general sense, like I'm fine with it because I think the power speed element to Carroll's game is intriguing. I think Henderson brings kind of undervalued speed a bit. and He's got good power. He's got he's definitely got more power than Carroll, I think. Then I would say he's got probably a half a step back in contact skills, but overall the plate discipline for both is really, really good. And both are intriguing. So I am intrigued by both. I'm not sure how many shares of each I'll have, but I definitely want one of each just to kind of see hey, they take off. Yeah, I actually have some shares of both these guys so far in my early drafts, more so with Carroll. I think I have a couple more shares of Carroll than I do Henderson, but I'm actually surprised that the ADP for these two hasn't gotten higher. You know, with Carroll around, like I said, 71, and Henderson about 20 picks after that. You know, I, I love the Carroll ADP, actually. You know, people, like you said, people undersell the power, but don't 
that's where like Savant is great. It's a great tool, but sometimes people look too much into it. And if they're not lighting up the Savant page with red, like, oh, the power isn't there. You want to look at someone that I think Carol comps very closely to long term. Go look at Trey Turner. Go look at his Savant page. He has a career 6.9% barrel rate. 89.5% average exit below, 40.9% hard hit rate. Those don't jump off the page at you. But look at his home run totals. Like last two years, 21 and 28. Is Carroll going to be a 40 home run guy? No. But can he be a guy that's, you know, 20 to 25, maybe, you know, a little bit more than that every year? Absolutely. And that's like him with a good amount of runs scored. He's a hit high in the lineup. He's a good OBP guy. Like, like you said, Chris, fastest guy in baseball after he came up in terms of sprint speed. Arizona was sixth in team steals last year. You know, the pickoff restrictions for pitchers, bigger bases. Man, I, I think you could realistically see a 20, 30 year from him this year. Maybe even more than that. It depends how wild they want to let him run on the bases out there in Arizona. Like, I'm definitely in on that. I think he's hit for a, a decent average. Good OBP as well. So, yeah, I'm definitely very fine with that as my... You know, even even as my outfield one, I love him as more as my outfield two. If you get like, you know, a big name, let's say you got like a Mookie Betts or a Juan Soto or something like that early, like a Jordan, and then you can get Carroll as your high upside outfielder two. I would love that. So definitely fine with him. And Gunner, you know, I'm not quite as high on Gunner. He's my two to Carroll's one in prospect rankings, but you know, he came up and small sample size showed, you know, that he could walk. He walked above twelve percent clip, hard hit rate. You know, I think there's going to be a pretty solid year from him as well with that third base eligibility. Obviously, that position falls off pretty hard after him. So I'm I'm on board if you want to you know, grab him and not have to worry about third base and how shallow he gets after that. I'm fine, too. I think he's going to be he could go, like, you know, 2010 or something like that this year with a solid amount of runs in RBI. I think Baltimore's lineup will be pretty solid and maybe the average will be, you know, I don't know if he can keep the K rate in check. I think the average will be fine. Again, he's another guy that can walk a lot, get on base, a good clip too. So, yeah, I don't really see any issue with either of these. And usually I do shy away, especially early on prospects and redraft leagues. But these two, I'm definitely okay with. Moving past these two, massive gap at ADP. And we threw Von Grissom in because he's close enough. I know he went like over by like 10 or 11 at bats or something like that. But I know people would kind of want to hear about him as well. So after these guys, I said Grissom is... 173 ADP. Then you got this massive cluster in like the 220 to 240 rate with Josh Young, Masataka Yoshida, Esturi Ruiz, Ezekiel Tovar, Tristan Cassis, Jordan Walker, and Gabriel Moreno. Let's go with your boy there in Atlanta, Grissom. First off, I think people are having a hard time valuing him, Chris, because he came up and set the world on fire for, you know, a few weeks or so. And then could get a complete 180 and was, you know, basically unusable for fantasy the last few weeks of the season. But I'm one where I'm a I'm a I'm a Grissom guy. Like we saw him in the minor leagues, just do everything well. He's not a guy that's gonna stand out in any one area, but a guy that can you know hit you some some home runs, hit for a decent average, steal some bags, get five of each last year in 156 plate appearances. Be moving over to shortstop. We'll have that dual eligibility by the end of April, more than likely. So that's fun as well. So at, at this price range, like if he's if you miss out on, you know, shortstop and or second baseman, I think he's a pretty solid value target for what he could bring to the table in that lineup that he's gonna be in. 
Yeah, and I think there's a bad misconception about him, especially down the stretch. He he got hurt. He collided with Robbie Grossman on a play in the field on September 11th, and after that was when he really slumped and he didn't play every day. He batted 160 with a 190 slug after that. And obviously he was hurt, which caused him to lose playing time, lost his legs a bit. I mean, it just it was a it wasn't like a super serious collision, but it was enough where he was hurt and you know left the game in pretty considerable pain. And at that point, Orlando Arcia also got pretty hot, which I think just kind of let the Braves just say, Well, we'll just we're just not gonna push Grissom at all. And from there he just didn't play every day. He was hurt, and he just wasn't good, to be honest. But I will say that he's going to play every day. Projection systems aren't valuing him properly because they're giving him 400 plate appearances, 450 plate appearances. So if you take let's take ATC at 479, which is one of the higher PA totals, and they've got him at 14 home runs, 15 stolen bases, that's pretty valuable if you move it to 600. And that's what Grissom's going to get, barring injury. He, he's not platooning with Orlando RC. Orlando RC is not a good baseball player. Von Grissom is. And Grissom is going to be the shortstop in Atlanta. And he's going to be a fine shortstop at that. And I'm just squashing the narrative that everybody's pumping out that he's a terrible shortstop because I've watched him enough in the minors to tell you that. His arm strength sucks. Savant says his arm strength sucks. Okay, do you understand how Savant's arm strength actually works? Because there's a ton of throws and it takes like the top 5% of your throws and calculates an average. So he had like seven throws that counted for his average. And we're talking about a second baseman who most of his plays are pretty easy, not like full force. I've seen the arm in full action. I've seen him deep in the hole at shortstop making a good throw. And he's got an arm and he's got a glove. Is he going to be a gold glover? No, but he's going to be a good shortstop, and that just complements the bat. Atlanta's confident enough in him. He's worked with Ron Washington every single day this offseason. Ron Washington speaks so highly of him. Don't forget, he was 21 last year. He just turned 22 this year. I'm not worried about Von Grissom. I think we're looking at, a at, at worst, 15 home run, 15 stolen base with a reasonable average. We're talking about really good contact skills. His contact rate, his zone contact was 89.9% last year. This is exactly who he's been throughout his minor league career. At the end of the day, I think Vaughn Grissom's actually a, a pretty good value where he's going in drafts, and I don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. Going to be in a good lineup. Yeah, he's going to hit in the bottom of it, but this dude's a player. He's just a gamer, and he's going to provide. So stop reading too much into the Savant narrative where you're looking at a really small sample of fielding at second base that wasn't his natural position that he did not play prior to coming up to Atlanta as a 21-year-old on a team that was a World Series contender. So squash the narrative. Von Grissom is going to be the everyday shortstop, and he's going to be a pretty good fantasy asset too. Not flashy, not a superstar, but a pretty good one. Yeah, there's a reason why I think that, well, obviously the money played into it as well, obviously. but reason why that Atlanta was okay letting Dansby go and not going out and getting anybody else. Like they didn't go after the Elvis Andrews or any other shortstop on the market. I think that should speak volumes that they knew they had like, all right, yeah, maybe we'll try to resign Dansby because he's you know, been with the organization for a while, but money got too high. They're like, all right, Hey, we don't need to spend a ton of money. We have Von Grissom right here that could take over. So 
yeah, I, I love Grissom. He's the reason why that, you know, I've been waiting on shortstop sometimes or even second base because that's like he's like my number one fallback option here. Like I don't see obviously I know why the EDP between these two is about a hundred picks apart because one has already done it, and the other one has not for a full season. But I think there's a realistic chance that if we look at the Rasball player rater at the end of the season, that Vaughn Grissom finishes higher than like an Andres Jimenez who's going around pick eighty. I think they're very similar profiles. I think Grissom has a bit more power, maybe Jimenez a bit more speed, but it wouldn't surprise me if Grissom went, you know, hit like 275, 20 home runs, 15 steals, and pushed like 150 runs plus RBI because you know, even though he's going to be hitting, you know, for the most part lower in the order unless there's injuries that move him up, but even then, like he hit low in the order this past year and still had 24 runs and 18 RBI and 156 plate appearances. Let's extrapolate that to not even 650. Let's just go to 600. All right. So that times that times that. Whoops. I need to do some correct math here. That would be a, you know, when you combine runs and RBI, a pace of about 162 combined. So you're probably talking around like 90, low 90s runs and low 70s RBI for him just off last year's pace. So hitting in the bottom of the Atlanta order is not, not the end of the world. It's a better spot to be than probably hitting on the top of Pittsburgh's lineup or anywhere in Oakland's lineup. So, yeah, I think he's a fine all-around player. He's a guy that can get you a bit of everything without hurting you in any one area either. He's not a, he's not a zero in speed or a hit for a low average. You know, he's a decent OBP guy as well. And the walk rate isn't super high, but I think he's going to be absolutely fine. Like that dual eligibility will be pretty fun as well. So, yeah, I love, you know, Von Grissom at this ADP. And, I'd rather, much rather go after him at pick 170 than Andres Jimenez at pick 80. I think that's definitely a no-brainer there when you're comparing the two. Jumping outside of the 200 here, we get this massive glob that I mentioned. You know, one, Chris, that I'm, you know, I don't think the ADP is terrible, but I've soured a little bit on is Josh Young. I mean, I think the power will be there, but he's never been a guy that draws a lot of walks. He's not going to be a high OBP guy. I'm starting to wonder, like, where does he average at? Because if Josh Young is more of like a 250, 260 hitter with 20, 25 home runs, that's, you know, that's still usable. That's still solid. But this is a guy that we were kind of thinking was like, oh, 280 plus with 25 plus home runs. I'm starting to wonder if that's not going to be there. So I'm not like, I don't hate the 220 ADP. I think it's in the range. But with all the other players kind of in that area of ADP, there's, it's a lot more names I like more than uh, Josh Young. So he's one that I don't really have many shares of so far this year. And I don't know if I see myself getting really any shares of him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one that's kind of weird. You know, typically you don't see a player come back from a labrum surgery and hit for the kind of power that he did immediately. And that's what he did last year. I mean, his, you know, obviously debuted back in the complex after rehab hit three home runs and 29 plate appearances, then moved to AAA for 106 PA, six home runs. And then he had you know a small sample in the major leagues of 102. He hit five home runs. So, yeah, I think the power is there. But what kind of average do we get, I guess, is the question. Like, what are the contact skills like? And, you know, what kind of average can we expect from him? And I think these are all really valid questions that we have to consider. And I think the, the contact skills are average. I don't think he's going to wow anybody with a, a solid batting average. but I'm actually a bit impressed by the way he hit the ball coming back from that surgery. 
and you hope that he takes another step forward this year being you know further removed from that surgery but again i think it's a question mark i think we do know that he's going to play pretty much every day i mean i'm not sure who else the rangers will run out there at third base it's got to be him and at minimum at least you're probably getting at bats and they should be solid ones at that with that being said i'm not sure i'm willing to project him for more than like a 250 average this year but with that could come 20 plus home runs which in this range i mean hitters drop off pretty quick so i'm not opposed to it i'm not like going out of my way to get josh young but again i think that he's kind of a fine option but he's not one that i'm just like i have to get I, he's not a, a can't miss player here yeah. take a moment and just get a word from our sponsor in manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscaped has the new 4.0 package with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer the crop preserver deodorant and the crop reviver toner the performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold all your goodies the best part is if you use our code toolshed at manscaped.com you can get 20 percent off plus free shipping that's using the code toolshed at manscaped.com yeah with young I'm, I'm totally there with you like i'm not avoiding him if if he was to fall another 25 30 picks i'd be okay with that closer to 250 but i don't know i'm just a little bit concerned with where the average is at i I think there should be 20 plus home runs over a full season but you know again small sample size but the whiff rate chase rate was super high k rate was 38 percent last year walker was 23.9 percent and i'm not saying those can't improve obviously they can and the power was pretty solid, 10.2% barrel rate, 450x Wobicon. Those are both very impressive marks. But I'm just wondering if he's just like a two, 250 and low 20s guy. And I can get that, you know, even later in the draft. Yeah, so I'm just not really looking to get Josh Young unless he falls a little bit further than this, like say closer to 250 range. Right behind him, though, a guy that's very different. He's a very polarizing player just because he had a, you know, ungodly statistical season last year in the upper minors where he sold over 80 bases. Esteri Ruiz picked 229. I'm actually okay with this. Like, I think you and I are very much in line with our thoughts on him for Dynasty where he's a sell. But this year, moving to Oakland, he's going to play. There's really nobody in his way. He might even be the best player in that lineup at this point as of Seth Brown, which is kind of sad. But he's going to play. He's probably going to hit high in that lineup. I don't see why he wouldn't just to let him run wild. And again, they're not playing for anything. Like They're projected for like 103 losses. And they're obviously not going to be in contention ever this season. So why not just let him run wild, see what he can do? I think, you know, everyone is always looking for speed. Every point in our draft, we're always looking for speed. And this guy could realistically steal 40-plus bags this year. Like He's one of the fastest guys in the major leagues. Is no shouldn't have any restrictions on him just to run wild. And yeah, maybe the bat isn't going to be spectacular. But I think the bat is like, it's not terrible. I think you could see him hit like 250 with, I don't know, 10-ish home runs to go with like 30-plus steals, maybe even 40-plus. And even, you know, in Oakland, he's still going to hit high in the lineup, like I said. So maybe 75 to 80 runs. 
I think there's a, a pretty good value here for a guy that could really, really impact your stolen base department. Yeah, he's an interesting player. And at the end of the day, like I don't really know like what his long-term value looks like. I do think the power is a bit overblown. I'm not sure you should expect him to provide pretty much any power at this point. But if you're drafting him for stolen bases, then I'm okay with it. I think you're going to get a decent amount of power, a decent amount of contact, and a lot of speed. And maybe decent is a strong word for power, but I'm probably projecting him for like eight home runs. But if that comes with 30-plus stolen bases, then it's pretty valuable. I'm not totally sure how he's going to perform against big league pitching, though. We've seen the struggles. We've seen him not hit the ball hard. But I don't think the A's have anything to lose. So they're just going to let him run wild, if I had to guess, which could equate to 30 to 40 stolen bases, like you said. So I'm a bit intrigued. I don't know where he hits in the lineup. Roster Resource has him nine, kind of in like a double leadoff role, I guess. But at the end of the day, like I just can't really see this happening. Like he's got a bump up, I would think. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong, but. I'm I'm not sure that this is the price I want to pay for a one-trick pony, though. I think we see too often that they just don't work out. I mean, I'm just thinking about Miles Straw last year. I know Straw was going 100 picks higher. Yeah. But we see how those typically go. And do I think Ruiz can be more? Yes, but am I afraid that he's not? Yeah, I, I'm certainly afraid of that. Yeah, and that that's the, the risk you run, but... At the same time, I, since his ADP is about 100 spots later than Straws was this past year, or 2021, I should, or no, 2022, I should say, I'm not, like I'm, he's not one where I'm like, oh, gotta have a story release, but if, if I need some speed or an outfielder in that range, which usually I do need an outfielder in that range because I don't like a lot of the outfielders ahead of him and, you know, 150 to 220 range or so. I'm okay taking him there. Just kind of depends on what I need at that point in time. If I don't need speed, then I probably won't even look his way. But if I'm like, you know, I kind of effed up speed a little bit here, didn't get as much as I wanted to through my first 10, 11, 12 players, then he's a guy that I think could be a nice little boost there. Like, you look at a lot of projection systems, and only have him, you know, in the vicinity of 400-ish plate appearances. The bat and ADT out both at 395. Zips actually has him at 522. With 36 steals, Steamer at 379 with 27 steals. Like that just shows you if he's you know, Steamer, 27 steals, 379 plate appearances. Let's say he gets 600. Wait that out. That is 43 steals. It just shows you that this guy could really be impactful with the bat. And a lot of them have him six, seven, eight home runs. It has him at 10. So not a complete zero. Obviously, the bat is not as good as we saw last year, but you need speed. At that point in your draft, I, I wouldn't be opposed to looking his way. There's a lot of kind of those types of guys in this range. Like Yoshida, if you need OBP at that point or average, I think Yoshida is going to be, you know, pretty good in, in those two categories. He's going to hit for average, he'll hit for OBP. Everyone and anyone that's seen him is talking about how elite the approach is, how elite the bat to ball skills are. It's just a question of what does he provide in, in the power and speed? Like he never stole a ton of bags over in Japan, so I'm only maybe expecting a handful out of him, but 
he's got to hit probably leadoff. I mean, there's I don't see any reason why he won't hit leadoff most of the time for Boston. So he's still going to score a ton of runs. He still have a, has a decent enough lineup around him. It's not you know a star-studded lineup like it has been in the past, but he's still got numbers behind him. Justin Turner, Tristan Cassis, you know, it's still a decent enough lineup. And if he's hitting leadoff with his contact skills, with his OBP skills, I think you know, 90 plus runs over a full year is definitely possible. And, you know, maybe he gets you 15, 18 runs. I don't think he's be 20 plus, but the reports of his power so far in camp have been pretty positive as well. So something to keep an eye on there. But at, at this range of the draft, I think with how high his floor is, even as a, you know, Asian player coming over to the United States for the first time. And we know how those can kind of be, you know, tricky at times. I feel like he's one of the more higher floor guys we've seen come over in a long time. So, again, I'm okay with this ADP. How about you, Chris? Yeah, it depends on your team build, I think, with how you take him. I do think he's a nice batting average floor and a batting average boost. I think you're pretty right on the, the power. I don't think he runs much at all. So, it's kind of, in, in my opinion, a bit of an empty batting average type player, which... I'm not sure how much value that has. The projection systems like are crazy about him. Like, yeah, I'm kind of baffled to see like a player that hasn't come over and played yet. Zips has him at 20 home runs and 305 batting average. Like, they don't throw a 305 batting average on most people, so that's pretty pretty strong reviews. I'm not willing to go that high on him at all, but I think Alex Verdugo is the player you're looking for, and so. I don't know where Alex Verdugo is going in drafts, but I'm not like actively looking to draft <laughs> Alex Verdugo either. Neither am I. So if you're, I'm just trying to pull up where he's going. He's going a little bit higher inside the top 200. That's overall. So I don't have it filtered, but I don't know. It's just not a player that I'm like going out and seeking to get. Maybe I'm wrong. I do think the bad average is good. I think the bat to ball skills are otherworldly here and very good, but. How much else is there? And that's my question. So I think in a general sense, like I'm not taking him in redraft leagues because I think that it's just an empty batting average type of player. And that very well could be the case. Who would you rather ha- have for this year, though? You got to take one, him or Verdugo. I guess I'd rather take a chance on Yoshida because we know what Verdugo is. At least I can hope <laughs> that it becomes a little bit more. Um, yeah, I'm there with you. I... I have won nothing to do with Verdugo, even though he's in best shape of his life narrative. He, you know, he, even though he was already in pretty good shape, I don't know what he was worried about. But yeah, I'll, I'd rather take a chance on Yoshida. I think he has a, you know, at least the potential for more power. Like we've seen Verdugo, we know that he is, you know, 10 to 15 home run guy. Maybe Yoshida's their five over that. Maybe he's 15 to 20. They're both, you know, about the same thing for steals, only get you, you know, a couple every year. But the batting bet the ball bet the ball skills are better here. The OBP is better. So and I think he's a hit higher in the lineup than Verdugo will for for the most part. So yeah, I think I'm surprised the run score projections aren't higher. Most of them are like in the mid to upper sixties. A steamer is the highest, eighty five. I think that's pretty close. I think I like steamer projection the most on him. Two ninety nine, three eighty eight, four eighty slash. 18 home runs, 60 RBI, 85 runs, and five steals. I, th- I think that's fairly realistic. So at this range of the draft, I'm okay with that. 
Now, we get a lot of young guys in this range. Obviously, these are all young guys, but getting back to the the younger guys, I should say, got a lot of fun ones in here. Different differing profiles too. We got a couple catchers over the next fifty picks or so. We're kind of again that two thirty to two sixty range of ADP, and then it drops off about another forty to fifty picks until we get another cluster of rookies. But in this 230 to 260 range, we have Tovar, Cassis, Jordan Walker, Gabriel Moreno, Miguel Vargas, and Logan O'Hoppy. Let's start with Tovar and Cassis. Obviously, very different players. Short slip and first baseman. You know, Cassis more of a power guy. Tovar more of a speed guy. Are you targeting either Tovar or Cassis this year, Chris? For me, if I had to target one of those, I'm actually going to go Tovar and not, even though I like Cassis, I think he's have a pretty solid year. I think they're going to give him that first base gig and just let him learn on the fly. So I think he's going to be a solid, you know, pick there. But I just see the a higher potential for you know, a positive ROI this year from Tovar because he's going to be the starting shortstop from day one. Like I don't, I'm not worried at all. People are already like, "Oh, Rockies got a Rocky." I don't think so with him. They already brought him up. They they didn't bring anybody in. They didn't sign Elvis Andrews. You know, and luckily he's now with the White Sox. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. But it's going to be Tovar. I think the power is a little bit undersold. It's not going to be huge power. He's probably going to be like a 15 to 18 homer guy. Maybe in a neutral park, he'd be a couple less than that, but gets a nice Babbitt boot from Babbitt, yeah, Babbitt boost. That's a tongue twister, apparently, from Coors Field. He's not hit for a solid average. He's done that in his entire professional career. Coors Field obviously gives him a little bit of a boost there, like I mentioned. And I think he's going to be 20, at least 20 plus steals this year, too. So you could see. You know, maybe some him flirt with like a 15 25 year this year. So, well, I, again, I do think Cassis will have a solid year. I think the average will be good and the OPP will be good. I think he could flirt with 30 bombs, but give me that all around blend from Tovar. Like, I'm, I'm loving him at this 234 ADP. He's one that I do think is going to be the everyday guy, but I'm not confident that he really hits the ground running. I think we're right that the Rockies could have signed somebody to block him, but they didn't. But at the same time, I think there's going to be some kind of struggles. He does chase a good bit. He loves chasing breaking balls out of the zone. I think once that narrative gets out a bit, it may be like he may get eaten up a bit early on until he makes adjustments. I do think the skill set is certainly intriguing. I do think the overall, like the, especially the zone contact skills, are going to really benefit him in course where he could hit for a decent average. But I am afraid that he chases a lot of breakers and that hurts him. I'm actually going to lean Casas at the price. I think that worst case, like you can fall back on having power from Tristan Casas. And I'm not sure what the fallback here is. If Tovar does kind of struggle a bit minus a hit tool, but I, I am a little bit concerned about the chase. And I, I think that Casas kind of reminds me a bit of like, a rowdy Telez light, and everybody's all about rowdy. And I, we can get that power from Casas. I, I truly believe that. I think Casas is going to be a big OBP guy. Probably not a, a, a huge boost in batting average, but that's okay. I'm not overly worried about it. But I do trust the power with Casas, and I trust that he's going to play every day. I think both play every day, honestly. But yep. I'll lean Casas. All right. Fair enough. I, I I think both are gonna have good years. I, I I think I'm after seeing Tovar. Yeah, those issues are there that you mentioned. 
So maybe, maybe the average is a little bit lower, but I, I do think the power speed will be there personally. You know, and at least like I said, if he doesn't, if the bat isn't quite there, maybe, you know, it's 240 with 10 home runs or 12 home runs, something like that. I still think he's a B20 plus steel guy this year, just, just by being in the lineup every day. And I'm sure they'll let him run when he's not on base. So again, I would actually, if I could have both, I would have both. I think I have a little bit more shares of Tovar right now, but I do have a share or two of Cassis. And he, I think he's one that's a hit. You know, maybe he is sixth or seventh to start the year, but I think he moves up and probably hits like fifth or you know, fifth or sixth for most of the year, right, right behind, probably right behind Devers and Turner for the most part. So I think this would be like a, you know, if I had to throw a projection out there, I'll say like 26 home runs and, like like low 80s RBI from him with a you know solid average in OBP as well. Like those skills are definitely there, and the pow- the raw power. Even though he, he never hit any you know huge gaudy home run totals in the minor leagues, because for the most part he, he even said it himself he was focusing on quality of his bats and using the entire field, you know bat to ball skills, getting on base. Like the raw power is in there. If you ever watched Tristan Cassis, I've seen this guy take batting practice several times. He's hit some bombs. The raw power is there to hit 30 plus. No doubt in my mind. Will that happen this year? Maybe, maybe not. But I think both are are good. I think this would be a good poll. I'm gonna throw that poll up from our our Twitter accounts tomorrow as well. Okay. See how see how that turns out. Because they're very different players, both very fun players. So that'd be fun to see how that one turns out. All right, right after them, Jordan Walker. Man, like I don't know. Like Jordan Walker, if he's up opening day, which there's a you know very real realistic chance of that happening. The rumors are getting louder and louder around that. A lot of people that know you know St. Louis kind of have that feeling that he will be up there. And with a lot of St. Louis players playing in the WBC, he's gonna have a ton of just chances to have at bats in spring training. And if he does that and starts mashing home runs, that ADP is gonna skyrocket. Let's just, let's assume that happens. Let's assume Walker plays pretty well in spring training, and this ADP from 242 even goes up closer to 200 than 250. Are you okay taking a chance on Jordan Walker at that point in time? I do think I am. I I think he's going to be the everyday guy. It, in it's so Cardinal enticing, Southfield. isn't it? Like, yeah, he's one that I'm actually confident enough in. It just it just. And I'm not going to even, I don't even want to use the word Julio Rodriguez, but it's a similar draft spot before we knew that Rodriguez was going to make the roster. And if it comes out that Walker's going to make the roster, he's going to skyrocket. I mean, like, he's going to go top 100. The power and speed is interesting. Like, he's a freak athlete. Don't look at the size and think he's not. He's such a good athlete, man. And I just think he's got the rookie of the year potential if he plays every day from the start. And I think the Cardinals are kind of incentivized to do that. I think that they know that he's ready. Now there's an incentive to bring him up and have him on the opening day roster. And I think he helps the team. I really do. I just, I don't think Dylan Carlson's the guy anymore. I think they're going to go with Jordan Walker out there. He's not going to be a DH. You don't bring up your top prospect to DH. But I'm I'm just kind of convinced that, that Walker's a right fielder for them to start the year. As long as he has a good spring training. So in that sense, like I, I'm fine taking a shot on him here. Yeah, I, I think the Cardinals are like in a really ideal spot because they're gonna have the chance to give him plenty of at bats, like I mentioned. And if he doesn't you know, let's say he hits like two thirty, two forty, they have a chance like, oh see, he's not quite ready yet. They can sell it to their fans, put him in triple A for a month or two to, you know, work on I don't know, 
off-speed pitches or whatever the narrative they they throw at you is. And if he dominates, like, look, he's ready. Boom, put him in our, our opening day lineup. And I've said it for a long time that I think he's going to be like 90 to 95% of what J-Rod is. I think he's going to be a 30-plus home run guy, hit for a good average, steal some bags, you know, double-digit steals, at least early on in his career, because he is very athletic for his size. Like I said, they will be moving him to the outfield. Like, obviously, having Arenado is you know, a big reason why they have to move him off of third. But, you know, they could have tried to move him somewhere else. But, you know, putting him in the outfield, obviously with Goldschmidt there too, kind of had to. But he's going to work out there. It's a lot, not like it was 100% because they had to. Like, he is athletic enough. We saw him, both Chris and I saw him play outfield. Is he going to win gold gloves? Maybe not. Probably not. But is he going to be fine out there to give him his athleticism? He's got, you know, obviously the long legs, long strides, can really cover a lot of ground out there. So I think it'll be fine. And obviously, you know, people are like, oh, what are you, what are you guys talking about? I don't care about that. But he's going to be a fine outfielder. I think he can play outfield right now in the major leagues. And I think he can hit right now in the major leagues. So, yeah, he has a min pick on NFBC of 157 since the first of the year. That min pick is not going to stay at 157. Even even if he doesn't, you know, get bumped up because of spring training, like he's just gonna someone will want that upside in their lineup, and it's very enticing. Like he could realistically go if if he went top one hundred, if he gets pushed up that high, I'm out. But if he still if he still stays closer to like two hundred than one hundred, like one seventy five, one eighty, I'm still okay with that. Given what he can bring to the table, we've seen it. Great year last year was the best player on the field out in the AFL. Like all the tools are there for him to be a superstar in this league and a fantasy stud. So I am definitely okay with him where he's going now for sure. The other ones in this range, we got two catchers, Gabriel Marino, again, not technically a prospect, but close enough. So we threw him in here and Logan O'Hoppy, 242 for Marino, 257 ADP for O'Hoppy. Which one would you rather hit your wagon to here in 2023, Chris Marino or Hoppy? I'm actually going to go with. Oh, Hoppy. I'm, I think Moreno's hit tool is really, really good. And I think we all know that. But I think that just the ability to be the everyday guy in LA is an incentive for Ohapi to, to go at this price tag. I think he's a bit underrated. I mean, they literally, I mean, they're not going to run out Max Stassi. I'm just being honest. They traded for Ohapi for a reason. I do think this team is trying to win, and hopefully they make the playoffs for Trout and Otani. I just really hope that happens. And I think Ohapi's going to be a part of that. I do think that Moreno's going to get some run. Like The D-backs wouldn't have made that trade if he wasn't going to play. But they also have Carson Kelly, who, while it feels like he's been around forever, he's only 28 years old. And I think he's going to get a good bit of time, too. With Ohapi, I think you're looking at a pretty well-rounded profile. Like, he kills the ball to the pool side. He may not hit the ball hard all the time, but it doesn't really matter when you do what he does, the damage he does to the pool side. And we're going to end up seeing that come to fruition. I think Ohapi's got fine contact skills as well. And at the end of the day, I think the play, plate appearances just went out. I would say Moreno probably like more of a 300 to 400 plate appearance guy. And I think that Ohapi can be more than that. And I'm just more confident in Ohapi's power and willing to take a chance on him here. I actually like him getting him as my catcher, too, in this range, knowing that you should get plenty of 
plate appearances here for him, which does matter a lot at the catcher position. Yeah, and, and I do think that Marino, I think his power will always be there to some degree for his career, but there's a much smaller margin for error with a fantasy profile like Marino's than there is with Ohapi. Like, would you rather have a guy that hits, you know, 260 to 280 with 20 home runs, 12, 20 to 25 home runs, or a guy that hits two, you know, 290 but with like eight to 10 home runs? Because if that 290 average all of a sudden is 270, where, you know, is he even worth having? Yeah, he'd still be worth having, but it's just a lot smaller margin for error with a profile like Marino. I, I'm, I'm fine with both of them. It's like a C2, or if you want to wait in two catcher formats and get, one of these two guys or just wait in general in single catcher formats. I think they're both pretty fine targets, but I would rather have Ohapi as well. All right. Next ADP range. Now there's a jump down past 300. We have another glutton here. Garrett Mitchell, Ozzo Peraza, Bo Naylor, Matt Mervis, Oscar Colas, Francisco Alvarez. His ADP has fallen quite a bit after it kind of was made clear that he's not going to open. So he has a dominant screening like this. Pretty small chance he opens as the everyday catcher for the Mets. And they went out and got who they went out and get. They already had Tomas Naito. Chris, who's the guy they went out and got? I'm totally blanking uh, they on get his name. Orioles. He was with the Orioles. Uh, I'm about to pull it up because I feel really, really. Oh, my word. What is. Uh, yeah. I, I'm like looking at him right now, too. I'm just going to. Omar Navias. It was, it was not Thank Orioles. You. It was Omar Navias. <laughs> Omar Navias. Yes. And they have Navias and, and, and Tomas Naito. So there's a reason why they brought Navias in because they want to give. Obviously, they want. Alvarez is their long-term catcher. That's obviously the plan, but they want to make sure that they do it the right way, and they don't have any incentive to rush him. That they're going to be a good team, no matter if he's up in April or June. So, I, I'm not looking at him. But in this range, I'm all about. Let's, let's give a kind of like our favorite targets in this range of ADP. I think my favorite has to be Oswald Peraza by a hefty margin here. There's some others I do like uh, in this range. But Garrett Mitchell, you know, there's a lot of warts in his profile, a lot of red flags. Yeah, speed's great. You know, he can he can walk a good amount too. But first slump, like one of the like, quick to go over to like South Relic or Joey Weimer or whoever. So I don't know if I'm really in on him too much once he falls a little bit more. But Oza Peraza, kind of similar to Tovar. I think there's maybe a bit more speed for Peraza, but slightly lesser hit tool. I think he's probably hits around like 250, 260, but could be another 15, 25 type guy. And it looks like he's going to be given the chance to be the starting shortstop in in the Bronx. They didn't bring anybody in to upseat him. So give me all of the Peraza shares. I don't think Volpe's up early. I think maybe you can see Volpe May, June, but I don't know. Even when that happens, maybe they shift it around, but I think they'll both be in the lineup. Especially if Peraza's hitting well. Yeah, give me Peraza. There's not often you can get a potential 15-25 guy at 5,300. So I'm all about also Peraza in this range. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's just going to be the guy, given every chance to be the guy at least, which I think speaks a lot of volume because that's not really the Yankees' way. Right. They're more apt to go out and pay 300 mil for a shortstop. I mean, see him do that. He came up and hit the ground running last year. He was really good down the stretch of the season. His overall stat line, AAA, may be disappointing you. He still went 19 homers, 33 stolen bases for the call-up. He had 306 in 57 Major League plate appearances. Really good contact skills. I do think it's important to note that he started the season very, very slow. 
and really picked it up like from June 1st on hit 291 with 14 home runs and 22 stolen bases. So really, really picked it up. I just think Peraza's a dude. I think Peraza's a bit underrated. I think Peraza's going to prove a lot of people wrong that question him. I think there's good power that only plays up in this stadium. I think he's got good speed, and I think he's got good contact skills. So at the end of the day, I'm kind of banking on Peraza, and I think it's a good price tag, honestly. like If you're looking, like if you want to take Ezekiel Tovar, I just take Oswald Peraza 100 picks later, and right. it, I think you're going to get the better in the deal there because I just think we see him play regularly. I mean, if he performs, like I think people are concerned that Volpe's going to come take his job, but if Peraza's performing, like that's not going to be the case. They're going to find a spot for for both of them to play. Like Volpe's just going to come up and take it. And maybe I'm crazy, but I'm not so sure that Peraza and Volpe are that dissimilar from a fantasy standpoint, at least production-wise. I think that may disappoint some people, but I just think Peraza's really good. That's not a knock on Volpe at all. No, 100% agree. Anybody else in this range that you're you're liking in this the 300 to 400 range? This is kind of like, you know, for most people listening, you know, like 12 teamer, you know, what, how many rosters? About 23, 25, 27 man roster. So this is kind of like the tail end of guys that you might take a flyer on in your standard, you know, redraft league. We're not talking like best balls quite yet or, or DC, stuff like that. But anybody else in this three to 400 range that you like a lot, Chris? No, I mean, the Cubs have completely just said they're, that Matt Mervis isn't ready by their move, sadly, because that would have been the guy. But right now it's Oscar Colos. I'm actually trying to make it a point to get him in most of my drafts because I think that he's being a bit undervalued. Like you want you want good late power and you can get it from Oscar Colos here at pick 350. I mean, just massive, massive power. He makes good contact in the zone. He chases a bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, when you're hitting the ball hard, you're going to make things happen. And I think Colos is going to do that. I think Colos is the everyday right fielder for the White Sox. Not a bad lineup either. And I think he's going to have a lot of chances to prove himself this spring training. I just, I know roster resource doesn't set it, but I just think he beats out Gavin Sheets. I think he beats out Lurie Garcia. Like who anybody else they think they could throw out there. I mean, we know Benetton is going to be in left. Luis Roberts going to be in center. Eloy's the DH. I think Colos is the right fielder. There's no real reason for them to hold him down at this point. If this team wants to win, they're going to put Oscar Colos out there. So for me, this slot, potential 30 home run bat, I'll take Oscar Colos. Yeah, this is going to have a fun range depending on like what you want from whatever the flyer is you're taking. You got the power with Colos. You know, I think Kerry Carpenter, who's going pick 390 or so, is another decent cheap power guy, kind of end game flyer for power. He's probably going to start more often than not, you know, between outfield and DH for Detroit. Not really anybody you know, that's going to take his spot right now. And, and he had a pretty solid showing with Detroit last year and 113 player appearances, hit six home runs at 252. He's never going to hit for a high average, but 240, 250 type of guy, maybe 25 home runs over a full year. He's, he's got solid power there. So. At 11.1% barrel rate last year, even though the, the X of ELO and hard hit rates don't wow you, but just like a cheap end game power guy. I would rather go after Colos, but if you want another just cheap power option, Carpenter's decent. If 
Bubba Thompson, cheap speed. I don't expect much from him in way of the bat. He's kind of like a poor man's Estre Ruiz in every way, shape, and form. But he can fly. Pl- plenty of speed there. Should get a chance, I think. Let me see. Is there? Let me see what roster resource has for Texas. Do they have him starting? Eh, they do not right now. But well, they, they did just send Robbie Grossman. So that kind of does throw a monkey wrench in. But. Still, two-thirds of that outfield. Obviously, Adelise Garcia is in right. Then the other two spots are Robbie Grossman and Leody Tavares. So not that hard to be either of those two guys out. So just got to keep an eye on in spring training, see if he's looking like he's going to be a starter because that speed could be some a nice cheap speed guy late in your draft. Four to 500, again, we're getting into deeper leagues, best balls, you know, DC, stuff like that. But some of the guys going four to 500, Spencer Steer, Bryce Terang, Drew Waters, Brett Beatty, Kyle Stowers, James Outman, Will Brennan, Sal Frank, and Curtis Mee is going a little bit after 500. Anybody there stand out to you, Chris, that you'd be targeting this year? Will Brennan, I think that the spot's open for him in Cleveland at this point with some of their moves. I I think Will Brennan's just a, a player. I know Roster Resource has Miles Strauss in that lineup, but Miles Strauss is just not a good player. And Will Brennan is high contact player that they love. Like he literally fits this team to a T. He really and, does. <laughs> yeah. Miles Straw's only speed. Like I don't really think he brings much else to the table. And I think Will Brennan's pretty well rounded. Not going to be a standout in any one area. But I think Will Brennan's going to play a good bit. If you're just looking for an outfielder, there's actually some a lot of interesting ones here that I do think you're going to play. But I'm willing to bet that Will Brennan gets 450 plate appearances and the projections are kind of discounting that a bit and you're gonna get some sneaky power speed with a good batting average here i mean excellent 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 bat to ball skills i think he's gonna hit for good average give you 10 home runs 10 stolen bases and i think you'd be happy with that as a really late round dart like this is a a late round guy in dc's going post you know 30 post round 30 so i'd gladly take him and put him on my bench there Sadly, with Brett Beatty, man, I'm just not sure the Mets are willing to commit to him as the everyday guy. I wish they would. I really felt like with the Carlos Correa thing, I thought that, okay, here, it'll be for Beatty. It'll be his job to lose. But I think they're going to run with Eduardo Escobar. I forget he has a pretty sizable contract they're paying. And I lied. It's only $10 million, but still, that's chunk chunk change for the Mets. But... <laughs> Escobar was actually pretty good down the stretch, so he may be a threat to some playing time. Maybe Beatty gets some reps at third and DH. I don't know. I like Beatty's bat. I think Beatty's a really, really good hitter. He's going to be a great professional hitter, but I'm not sure this is the year. The other ones are interesting. I think Sal Frelick could get a shot, but that outfield's really crowded. And Curtis Mead's just still underrated. Like I think that Curtis Mead could end up being better than Kyle Manzardo. And that's not going to be popular, but he's got to play. So will the Rays commit to play him is the biggest question mark. And if so, then he could have some serious value. But right now it's hard to know, and I don't think he's not going to start the year with the team. So for that standpoint, it's hard to go out and draft him. But I guess of any of them there, like, I want Will Brennan. I trust that he's going to play the most. Yeah, I think he's. A, if you're looking for a guy that's going to be up opening day, I think he's the, the best option there. You know, for me, these are all like if you have deeper benches and can afford to stash a guy that might not be, you know, up right away. 
No, I, I think you're looking at Steer will probably be in the opening lineup. I don't know what it looks like for in Cincinnati, but he's got he he can play multiple positions in that infield. So I think Steer's a decent target. Terang as well could be that starting second baseman in Milwaukee. We'll see. Drew Waters could be starting in that KC outfield. Yeah, Beatty. I just don't. He's one where I was targeting him when I thought he's gonna be the starter, but even after you know, I talked with Michael Simeon on my Mets preview for my Patreon podcast and. Yeah, he he's not confident that Beatty or Alvarez will be up soon either. So that's kind of like the consensus around a lot of Mets fans I've talked to as well, that the what they're hearing coming out of, of Mets world. So, yeah, Stowers, I think, is pretty underrated. I think he could get some run this year in Baltimore. I, I've been a big James Outman guy, but it just keep bringing in guys. And I don't – it kind of looks like he's the odd man out at this point or one of the several odd men out. So I just, it's just too cloudy there for me to go up to him anymore. Well, if he fell like post 500, I'd still take a shot at him in like DCs or best balls. Or Sal Frolic, again, I think he could be. He's probably the next one up. He's probably up before Joey Weimer. So he's one where, you know, deeper bench spot. I think he could be a pretty solid target as well. Let's round up the show with some high upside stashes. These are guys that, you know, obviously we're drafting them in DCs and best balls and whatnot, but we are standard like redraft league, 12 team, whatever. Probably not guys you're going to draft, but. Could be up, you know, May, June, July, something like that, provide a big impact. Looking at three names here, more so through Joy Weimer in, but I think the big three are Ellie De La Cruz, Royce Lewis, and Anthony Volpe. Which of those, if you had to pick one of those three to stash for just this year, Chris, who would it be? Kind of want to say none of them because, I mean, it would be Royce Lewis, but I just, I'm not sure he's back until the all-star break at the earliest. And if that's, yeah, that's what I've been saying too. That's that's without any setbacks. I would say Ellie is probably August, September. Volpe, I guess Volpe may be the one that debuts the quickest of this group. And if Peraza performs, then there's not going to be a real need to push him. I mean, we're looking at a 21-year-old who just has 99 plate appearances in AAA. So the team may not want to push him. I mean, they may if they view him as their shortstop of the future, then they're not going to push him. So, golly, I mean, that's really tough. I don't, if if I don't have to pick one, I'm not going to pick one. But I guess I'm just going Royce. I mean, we know the timeline with him at least, and we know what he's capable of. Obviously, if you have an IL spot, you can stash him there. But in a general sense, like with no IL, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna draft him. I'm not really gonna stash any of these guys. I don't think. Yeah, I, I kind of. I'm not really attached to any of these three. I guess I would probably lean towards Volpe because he's not hurt, and I think him and Royce are probably you know up somewhere around the same time. I think if I had to venture, I guess they'll probably be up within a month of each other. I'm not sure who's up first. Probably Volpe because, like we were talking about, you know. I just don't know when Lewis, even when he's he's probably back in May, but that doesn't mean he's going to be up with the Twins in May because there's not like a glaring opening in their lineup either for him. So I think they can afford to like, all right, let's give him some time in AAA, make sure he's, you know, 100% with no question marks before we bring him back. And so maybe he's not up till June, July. It's kind of what I've been thinking as well. But so I'll, I'll go Anthony Volpe here because, again, I think he's the one that is going to be up first. Of these three, my guess is for him is probably like mid to late May. Totally guessing there, but I think he's a big guy that you know can do a little bit of everything once he's up as well. And 
he's going to be one that they put in the lineup again. Like they'll find a spot for Volpe. He's their top prospect. So I'm not worried about him playing sporadically once he is up. But we got to see how that kind of shakes out in New York. But I will go Volpe here. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we see Ellie till the second half. I mean, he could just go bonkers again and force, you know, Cincinnati's hand. That absolutely could happen. He could be on another 30, 50 pace in the minor leagues or whatever he was on last year. But I just don't think there's any reason for them to rush him. They're not going to be a contending team this year. Their window is a few years out from now. So I think he debuts, but I just don't think it's still later in the year. So unless you have super, super deep benches, you know, obviously in best ball DCs, take a stab on him up because of the upside because i do i do think he's up this year but your standard redraft leagues he's a, a more risky guy to stash and and anybody wondering about jackson churio i don't think churio is up this year do you, do you think we see churio at all this year i don't no nah, i i would be just shocked i mean he would have to start in double a set double a on fire move to triple a Golly, I, I don't see it at all. He'd have to do what he did last year again this year, which is it possible? I guess. He's a very talented player, but yeah, I just don't see them rushing him. With all the names they have ahead of him on that outfield depth chart, they don't need to rush him. So yeah, I think he's at double A, gets triple A at some point this year, but then this is like more of a guy we talk about next year in an episode like this. But I think that's going to wrap us up. There are a lot of fun hitters on this list. We have a lot of fun pitchers. That we'll get to later on in the week. Probably have that episode on Wednesday or Thursday. But that will wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again. We hope you enjoyed it. Check out Chris's Substack for more work from him. Rankings, Dynasty ADP, a lot of fun stuff over there. Points League stuff from Zach Beck as well. A lot of fun stuff there. Check that out. And to check out my Patreon as well. I got all my updated rankings up there. Dynasty buy, sell, hold pieces. A lot of fun stuff there as well. And we greatly appreciate your support on both of those platforms. And join us again next time for that pitcher rookie redraft episode. But until then, everyone take care.